This podcast is a part of the Newhoff Media Podcast Network. will continue to fall. I'm Lisa Lacerra, Fox News. That's a prediction from the head of the Federal Reserve as he spoke before a House panel. Fed Chair Jerome Powell says the central bank's monetary policies are bringing down inflation. Nonetheless, inflation pressures continue to run high, and the process of getting inflation back down to 2% has a long way to go. The Fed's Board of Governors raised the key interest rate five points over the past several months, and further tightening is expected, Powell tells Congress. Inflation is now around 5%. That is down from a 40-year high of more than 9% last year. Fox's Jared Halpern on Capitol Hill. Powell's comments impacting the market. Stocks closed lower for the third straight day. The Dow lost 102, the Nasdaq off 165, the S&P minus 23. A glimmer of hope in the search for the missing submersible craft that was traveling to the wreck of the Titanic. It hasn't been heard from since Sunday, but noises have been detected by ships in the search area. As uh, we've got data back from the sonar buoys, um, you know, we're sending it off to uh, the Navy experts to see if we can uh, classify those noises. Rear Admiral John Mauger, the vessel which is carrying five people could run out of oxygen as soon as tomorrow morning. More than 12 years in prison for Daniel Rodriguez, who had pled guilty to four felony counts related to to his actions during the January 6th Capitol riot, including inflicting bodily injury on an officer with a dangerous weapon. Prosecutors say Rodriguez assaulted D.C. police officer Michael Fanone with a stun gun. Hunter Biden said to make an initial court appearance in federal court July 26th to face misdemeanor and gun-related charges. The Justice Department said yesterday that the president's son had agreed to plead guilty to two misdemeanor charges of willfully failing to pay income taxes and to enter an agreement that could avert a conviction on a gun charge. America's listening to Fox News. Born on America's darkest day of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been supporting the heroes who risk life and limb in the line of duty ever since. Jersey City Police Detective Joseph Seals was shot and killed in the line of duty in 2019, days before Christmas. He left behind his wife and five children. Tunnel to Towers immediately paid off their mortgage thanks to your generosity. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Do you find yourself stuck in a timeshare? Get the real facts about the timeshare industry and your options for cancellation. Chuck McDowell, founder of Wesley Financial Group, has put together a free information guide that reveals the secrets the timeshare industry doesn't want you to know, including the five ways to get rid of your timeshare. Call now and get this timeshare cancellation guide absolutely free. Call 800-292-7788. That's 800-292-7788. 800-292-7788. A woman has died after being accidentally shot by her two-year-old son. Police responding to a home in Norwalk, Ohio, where they found 31-year-old Laura Ilg with a gunshot wound to her back. The gun fired by her two-year-old son. The gun was left out but uh, and shouldn't have been accessible to the child, but... Apparently, she didn't know he was in the room at the time. Norwalk Police Chief David Smith among the officers responding to the scene. Ilg, who was more than eight months pregnant, was rushed to the hospital, undergoing an emergency C-section. Doctors weren't able to save the baby. Ilg died hours later. Authorities say it appears the two-year-old got into a bedroom while Ilg was doing laundry and began playing with the 6-hour 9mm. Matt Napolitano. 
Fox News. Amazon being sued by the federal government for enrolling customers into its Prime program without them signing up. The Federal Trade Commission is accusing Amazon of enrolling shoppers without consent into Amazon Prime memberships and claims it was then difficult to cancel subscriptions to the program. Prime costs as much as $139 a year. The lawsuit filed in Seattle, where Amazon is headquartered, claims Amazon used manipulative, coercive, or deceptive design known as dark patterns to trick its customers into automatically renewing. The FTC claims changes that would have made it easier to cancel were rejected because it would have cut into Amazon's bottom line. Ginny Kosola, Fox News. Tropical storm Brett is growing stronger as it takes aim at the eastern Caribbean. The storm has maximum sustained winds of 60 miles per hour and is moving westward across the Atlantic Ocean at about 15 miles per hour, according to the National Hurricane Center. The storm is about 415 miles east of Barbados and is expected to grow stronger before hitting several eastern Caribbean islands tomorrow at near hurricane strength. I'm Lisa Lissera. This is Fox News.
the victory here today. And the Cardinal four-game win streak is snapped with a 3 nothing victory by the Nationals. We'll have more from Nationals Park after this. We now return to regular programming on WSOY Decatur, 1340 AM, 103.3 FM, and NowDecatur.com. Fishermen and weekend boat captains, I can't think of anything much worse than getting to your favorite spot and then not being able to get back. Before you make your way on the lake, make a stop at Rex Battery first. A fresh battery for your motorboat will be sure to get you where you're going and get you back. At Rex Battery, we stock our batteries fresh. That means your battery will have a longer life with more power and more fun on the water. Not the nautical type? We're ready for any summer fun with Motobat Power Sports batteries for ATVs and motorcycles. The battery is pretty important, and getting yours at Rex means you get to talk to the battery pros. We'll point you in the right direction and make absolutely sure you're getting the most for your money. From the tiniest hearing aids to the biggest farm equipment, nobody knows batteries better than Rex. 1330 East El Dorado, Decatur. Authenticity. Balance. And a little moxie. This is The Morris Code with your host, Dr. Juanita Morris. Hey, 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 hey. Hey, hon. Hey, hon. What's up? Not much. How are you? I am great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. You are listening to The Morris Code, and uh, welcome. Welcome to The Code. I have Thank missed you. my, my guy. <laughs> my guy for a few weeks now. And so what I usually say is, um, this is Dr. Watson along with me in his journey, and in life's journey is my husband, Dr. J.K., Yes. Yeah. That is the intro. You good? I'm great. You're great? Yes, 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 yes. So it's good to be back in the studio. Is it? It is. I've missed you. I missed you too. Missed you so much. I followed you today. I followed you. Take back that (laughs) what does he say? Huh? What is he say? Whatever, whatever. whatever. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I will be orange juice Jones dumb. Wow. She doesn't she doesn't have a reference. <laughs> Tom said, yeah, okay. <laughs> so what's been going on real quick? Oh. What you got going on? You've been missing in, in missing in action. Last week I had Trey Marion. The week before that I had Asan Spence in. I have uh, these uh, co-hosts. Just giving you an opportunity to see how good you have it when wow. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's all. Is that what we're doing uh, now? Oh, yeah. So you rested up <laughs> for the radio. I can give you an opportunity to see how good it is. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> They're very interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we probably just needed to step away. <laughs> we need to break up, we radio needed, break we up. We needed to just step away and, and do some things, do some other types of things. It sounds like it's one of those, it's not you, it's me. No, no, it's not that. <laughs> It's this. <laughs> so we've been spending a good bit of time talking about the Civic Leadership Institute because it is up and, and running and moving. It's been up. I'm in year three and the program is in really in year four. And so May and we I'm usually kind of um, book solid June and July. Mm-hmm. But this year we've backed it up a little bit and it's been May. So the last few weeks we've had um, students in from the Institute, which has been fun. But tonight we're going to do something a little different. Um, and we're going to. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's what we do on the code. OK. We're going to have changed since I've been away. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, we um, recognize people who are in our community, who are active in our community. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we see folks as one way. And yes, we are that way, whether it's what you as a parent or whether it is what you do for a living or whether it's where you volunteer. But we also know that people are more than just that one thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because work is only a work. Our work is only a, a snippet or a, a minor component of who we are as people. It's not the holistic. It's not mm-hmm. right. It's and just a, 
It is. It's just a part of who we are. And so we spent um, some time with Rafaela Prangi, and uh, she just stepped away from Milliken and is pursuing um, new opportunities. And But she has been an integral part, not only of Milliken, but also of, and probably more importantly, our community. Mm, yeah. Well, I mean, she brings a lot to the table. There's a great uh, family dynamic with her husband, Rob, and Big Rob, Big Little Rob, Rob and Big Rob yeah. and her daughter. I think that's uh, it's a great dynamic for our community to see and to experience. She definitely brings a wealth of, of experience and, and perspective. And I just saw on Facebook that they had, a, um, a I don't know if it was a chicken or I think it was a chicken because, you know, they're kind of urban farmers. Mm-hmm. Um, who just died. And I think on the Facebook post, they had had this one for a long time. I don't know if it was 2017 or, or not, but that was interesting. What, what do you do with a dead chicken? I don't, fry it up. <laughs> uh, if the chicken died. I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't know. I think you should do that. That chicken should probably be buried. You're going to bury it? Uh, well, what else can you do with I it? I mean, I don't know. You... I don't think you should cook it if it died. Uh, aren't all the chickens that people eat they're dead? dead? Yeah, but they are killed. Not they don't die. Maybe the chicken had a heart attack. You wouldn't want to eat the heart. So, so <laughs> you talking to somebody that don't eat meat at all? So I was like, people eat chicken hearts. Anywho, livers, gizzards. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. regardless of how it died, it's still dead. And yeah, we, and we should be it, able to fry it up, right? If it died. I mean. <laughs> Like if the chicken had like cancer or something. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! I don't think that was the case. Well, we don't know, do we? We don't know, and we should never make assumptions. <laughs> so here's what I will say: We are going to air a conversation chicken. that we had as a super interesting conversation with Rafaela Prangi. And what I will also say is that this conversation about a chicken will come back up when she's talking about when she got married. So stay tuned and listen. It's going to be good. You are listening to the Morris Code on WSOY 1340 AM. One. 3.3 FM is streaming live on NowDecatur.com. When was the last time someone stopped you on the street and complimented you on your style? Hi, this is George Truckfuss, co-owner of the Brass Horn, and if you're struggling to come up with an answer to that question, I'm here to help. I believe it's easier than ever to look better than the rest. I founded the Brass Horn in 1990 to help my customers put together a look that will get them noticed. I believe that every moment is an occasion, and the Brass Horn is a store for all occasions. Set the bar higher, let your appearance speak for itself, find your look at the Brass Horn. This is The Morris Code with your host, Dr. Juanita Morris. Welcome to The Morris Code. I'm your host, Dr. J. And, um... Man, I'm in the studio. I haven't um, listened to a Whitney Houston song in a super long time. And uh, so our guest today, this is one of her faves, and she decided we was going to dance with somebody today. Welcome, Rafaela Prangi. Thank you so much, Dr. J. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm yeah. doing real well. It is a season of celebration right now. Yeah. Tell me about uh, the song selection in Whitney. Oh, I have always loved Whitney Houston. I think my first CD actually had the single was I Want to Dance with Somebody. Really? And my mother did not like me singing that song around the house. She's like, who are you going to dance with? <laughs> well, 19 years on Monday? 19 years. You've been dancing. I've been dancing. Same guy. Same guy. Yep. How is Anniversary that? on Monday. Anniversary. you. Yeah. 22nd of May. May. Mm-hmm. Where'd you get married? I got married at a castle in Edwardsville, Illinois, where my husband's parents live. Um, and it was lovely. It was outdoor wedding. Weather was beautiful. Okay. Was it simple, elegant, or was it a big deal? Like- it was black and white, simple, elegant, tried to really cut costs any way we could because, you know, we're both in education on yeah. the low on the totem pole at that time. And yep. we were able to, you know, get my shoes for $9, my dress for $99. <laughs> um, we had like heavy hors d'oeuvres, not a plated yes. meal. Yeah. Yep. But like most brides, I didn't get any of the food. So, oh, I ate. I totally ate. That's what I always tell brides now. I'm like, put a plate aside. Make sure you eat something. Nah, I ate during the ceremony. I ate cake. I ate food. I ate everything. Like, I was fully present in that day. What do Mm -hmm. you, what what do you, what's the one memory from your wedding day? 
I love animals. Yeah. That's a little fun fact about Rafaela. And we had, <laughs> okay. And we had parrots and wild turkeys at the wedding because this castle had these exotic animals at it. The people that own this castle okay. had these animals kind of like a little farm. And so we had all these photographs taken with people with parrots on their arms, wild turkey on their arms. It was very quirky, very different. Um, but it took me back to my childhood living in the Miami area. Yeah. And there was a place called Parrot Jungle okay. back in the day. Now it's the Miami Sea Aquarium or something like that. But there's all these pictures of my family and, and me and my dad and my sister is all putting parrots on our arms when we were little. And so Aww. kind of was like a full circle moment. How special is that? It was kind I of would, fun. I would, and so it was outdoors. It was outdoors the whole thing. So you crossed your fingers on good weather and we had it. So it was great. Yeah. So yep. that is different. It is different, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're expecting me to say like someone said something really meaningful. I don't know. <laughs> the dance with your dad. <laughs> nope. It was the parrots. Outdoors <laughs> in Edwardsville. <laughs> with some parrots. At a castle. <laughs> so I am glad you're here. I'm, I'm glad, glad I'm here too. Um, our paths crossed. It's been probably five years, maybe. It's been a while. It's been a good bit ago. Yep. And I think it was when it was PLTI. It was. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, the Parent Leadership Training Institute. We did. 2016, actually, that started because it was right around that presidential election time. Yep. And it was during a school board election. Yes. And there was a big push to get parents involved in DPS. Yes. We had some candidates that were really focused on that. Yep. And we worked with an organization out from California, uh, PLTI. Yep. And that was And really brought fun. that here to Decatur. And up until last year, I knew it was still happening. I'm not sure about this year. Yeah. Um, but brought in some awesome parents from the community. Yes. All walks of life, all backgrounds, yep. um, all, you know, languages. And yep. we all came together as a community and it was super cool. And you were one of the facilitators and did a great job with some other community facilitators. And actually I had an event last night and I saw Shauna Tonelli, who was our Shana coordinator. Tinelli. And I talked with her for a little while and brought back a lot of memories about yeah. some of the kids. We had child care for the parents when they were sure in their did. training programs. And at the library. At the library. Worked with Katie Gross, the librarian at that time, who yes. I see around. She's retired now, but she was such a special soul and took care of those babies. And yeah. we had lots of you know, older kids that took care of those babies. And it was really a great community program. It brought so many different types of folks together with different interests. And I just hadn't thought about it, but it really, really was. And really I was, was super surprised and pleased when we started working on it, started working on another project and Ruth and Denarita, yes. who was a part of that program, mm -hmm. showed up and I was like, oh my God, I know you, yep. <laughs> right? And so that is when our, like everything is buzzing. That's <laughs> My phone is buzzing. The computer is buzzing. What in the whole heck is going on? Um, so that's when our paths crossed and we've kind of been connected, uh, just in the community over the past five, 2016. Yep. Five, six years. Yep. And we've worked on a lot of, I think, organic, you know, from yep. the ground up type projects. And mm -hmm. I always find those fun. When things have not been in existence before and folks are like, you can't do that. No one's going to be interested in that. And then I say, watch us. And and it's done. It's done. And it ends up being an amazing experience. Yeah. So I, I saw the announcement um, that you are transitioning to another amazing opportunity. And then I said, I really would like to just have a conversation and chit chat. Yep. Because I know that our community know you um, as with your relationship with Milliken, because you have brought the institution to the community. You have brought the people and the students to the community. That's been my passion project. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not my position description. I was talking to someone about this the other day because they're looking for a successor in this role at Milliken. And yeah. the position is very squarely focused on students, which it should be. Yes. You know, vice president of student affairs. Yes, you're advocating for the students. You're helping them bring their voices to the table. But that community connection has been probably the most special part of my experience, getting students out into the community, bringing the community yes. into the university. And I really believe that in its best version of itself, Millican is Decatur's university. Yeah. And we have some work to do with that. We really do. But I kind of saw that as my mission to try to continue getting there to where Decatur really saw that there was access and opportunity at Millican. Um, not just to be a student, not just to be an employee, but it's a space and environment here that brings a lot of culture together culture. and a place to learn 
formally or informally, right? I don't think that people realize the, the, the challenge in doing that, right? Like it seems like it's an easy thing to do, invite folks to the campus and then have the, the, the young folks come into the community or whether it's shopping or volunteering or whether it's the, the farm. But that is not an easy task. And there's a lot of untold assumptions too. Yes. Right? And I mean, that's yes. history and indicator. It's history of Milliken. You got to start taking those walls down. And it's all about relationships at the end of the day, right? So it isn't just about inviting. Yep. You can't just invite. We all know that an invitation is only an invitation. What's behind the invitation? Is there a relationship there? And that takes time and effort. But that was always my favorite part was creating these relationships with all of these leaders and community members and parents and children and showing them all the great things about their own community and about Milliken as well. So what I wanted to do was have some conversation about you. Okay. Right? Like, yes, we know you kill it at work. Yes, we know what you've done for us, our community, and the students um, in your time. And you've been there for a good stretch of time. 24 years as of June 14th. Is that not amazing? One year short of 25 years. Yeah, that's what yeah. 24 is. That's what 24 is. <laughs> that is what 24 is. But it's definitely one year short of 25. You know, the reason I say that, though. I'm wondering. I'm curious. It is coming up now on commencement this coming weekend, okay. right? Graduation. This will be almost the fifth fully of students that, that I've seen. seen graduate. If I would have stayed till next year, I would have seen that next group out. Um, so it's just cool to think about how many students have come through the institution and how many lives have touched me. You know, a lot of educators want to say, like, I've touched so many lives, but yeah. I really feel like it's the students that have touched me. Um, I had this event last night gathering with some folks, and I had all of these alumni and yeah. old students come back and just reminded me. You know what? The why. The, the why, why you do the work. Yeah. And so 19 years on, on Monday or 19 years on the 22nd for um, anniversary, 24 yeah. years at Milliken. Yep. If you think about Milliken, what's the so it was the parrots at the castle <laughs> <laughs> for, for, for the wedding. What, what would it be for the 24 years at Milliken? Yeah. What I was able to innovate and grow. And I think this connects to our conversation about PLTI. I felt this immense opportunity at Milliken to create um, opportunities for others and to build programs um, and to make changes um, without a lot of bureaucracy. And a smaller institution, a smaller environment lets you you do that. Um, And bringing in talent and mentoring on a very personal basis that you might not otherwise be able to do once you move up in a structure to become a dean or a vice president. Likely you're not interfacing with students, you're not mentoring, yeah. but I have been able to do that for 24 years. From the day I stepped on campus in 1999, partying like Prince in 1999, yes. Yes. to now in 2023, that's been a constant vein, the mentorship and the building and the creating. But you know, in 99 when I started, Milliken was 4% students of color. Sure. Now we're over 30%. And that's a reflection not just of Milliken, but of the state and of the landscape of higher ed. But being able to serve a student population that was always growing and developing and changing kept it fresh for me, too. And I saw my purpose in creating the access and equity and opportunity for the students that Mm -hmm. came in who were coming from a different background than what people traditionally thought students at Milliken looked like or were. Um, And I think there's still this idea that Milliken is exclusive and a privileged white institution. And in some ways it is, but in many other ways, we're serving a population that isn't being served other places in the state. Um, And I really appreciated working on initiatives that support that. We're going to take a quick break, um, and when we come back, we're going to talk about that passion and purpose and how it has come to be um, over the past 20, 30, 40 years of your journey in education and as a woman, right? This is The Morris Code with your host, Dr. Juanita Morris. on the music today, Raffaella. I mean, it's dating me a bit, but... <laughs> Welcome back to the Morris Code. Oh, that's a jam. Yeah, that's I always been a jam. Prince. Even though he did not leave his affairs in order, but I digress. Folks, if y'all think y'all gonna pass away, because I think we all are, Get your stuff in order. Please and thank you. Welcome to the show. We are just having a candid conversation with Raffaella Prangi. She has, um, man, it's been tried and true. Right. Um, we were just laughing because we're trying to figure out who who's the nicest between us two. <laughs> I think Dr. J said it was her, actually. Yes, it's totally me. 
<laughs> and, and I then, thought I'm nicer than people think. And then and you said maybe not. But then we said, who cares? Right. We don't well, care I what don't, people but. think. Right? <laughs> so I like talk to me about about you. Yep. Like I know people know part of. Yep. what you do, but I want to know and share and listen and learn a little bit more about you, like where you come from, what your interests are, who you be with. So I was born R-A-F-F-A-E-L-A. R-A-F-F. There's, so there's not two right now, though, right? So my name now is spelled R-A-P-H-A-E-L-L-A. Shut the front door. Right. So I start with that because much of my upbringing was about cultural erasure. Okay. Um, and kind of a big term there, but I grew up as the daughter of an immigrant um, who was ashamed of his past and did not want to pass that on to his children in the 70s and 80s when the environment was not friendly to Latinx cultures. Um, I was not encouraged to learn Spanish as a child. I was actually reprimanded in the household when I did that. Um, As things went on and culture changed in the United States and it became more friendly to Latinx folks, my younger sisters were more able to take advantage of some of my father's history and language, but I was not. And as a young child, the most important thing to my father was that I was an American girl. Yeah. He would always say, you're my American girl. Yeah. Gosh, what does that mean? Unwrap that package. Right. Um, So do well in school, do well in school, do well in school. Have a life better than mine. And I think every parent wants that for their child, right? To have a better life than they had. But I think that meant something different to that, to my dad than it does to the average person. My father had a fifth grade education when he immigrated to the U.S. Yeah. So he never really spoke English well. Um, I was a lot of times a translator for him, completing documents, tax documents, things of that nature. And so as a young person, I took on a lot of responsibility. I'm also the oldest of five siblings. Okay. Oldest of five girls, in fact. Wow. Right. So I was born R-A-F-F. Yes. And my father said, don't like that because it sounds too, in his words, foreign. Mm-hmm. So let's change it to sound European. Okay. And so when I'm out on the street around, I think I'm Italian. Oh. And I was named after the angel Raphael, which is not true. But that's the assumption. Yep. So, but that plays into that cultural erasure. He much wanted me to be European or American, the Nicaraguan, which is where he's from. I think that's so interesting because um, for me, even the cultural awareness, like I was aware very, very early that my name was not uh, Atina or Jennifer or Jennifer, right? Mm -hmm. My name is Juanita. Right. And so when you show up in spaces, <laughs> it was a little contradictory and confusing for other folks. For But for me, because I was younger, it was the natural. Right. It was you. It was me. Um, but people are expecting something else. Yes. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And so I think it's interesting that even your your dad and, and our parents who made decisions, they made very intentional decisions yes. for, for reasons to make sure that we had the ability to advance in a culture and a society that maybe was not reflective and supportive of who we actually are. Right. Right. And so I grew up in an environment that was not very diverse, even though I lived in the Miami area, South Florida, which is hugely diverse. Yeah. My parents placed me in all white school, parochial school, so that I was very much surrounded by this American culture. Didn't get to spend a lot of time with my family from my dad's side. Many of them passed away before I ever got to uh, take advantage of that cultural history. And so it's been a journey for me since I was a child to be on that cultural journey and learn more about myself. And it hasn't been, I mean, it's been the last 10 years that actually I've been able to really explore that. And so I think there's so much wisdom and you don't grow up when you're 18, when you're 21, you know, I'm still learning and I'm still growing. Um, But that focus on education was always, you know, a A point, a core of my father's want. And so it really instilled in me an interest in always learning and always being curious about things. Um, And being the oldest of five, I was also the caretaker. So put learning and caretaker together. What do you get? Yeah. You get an educator, right? And so, but that's not what he wanted me to do. And that's not what I thought I wanted to do. What did you think you wanted to do? Be a broadcast journalist. Now, what did you, what did your dad want you to do? Doctor, lawyer, you know, one of those fields where that you would make a lot of money and be very successful. And secure. And secure. Um, And he always thought the only reason I wanted to be a broadcast journalist is TV sounded fun. 
But why <laughs> I wanted to be a broadcast journalist was because I love telling stories and I loved reading stories. Yeah. So I wanted to be a storyteller of the human experience. And I think that early on, that was my way of saying, I know I have a story. Yeah. I can't really tell mine, but let's tell other people. Other people. Okay. And, you know, fast forward to the four years of broadcast journalism as a major at DePaul, did an internship my junior year at a TV station in Chicago. Ooh, How was I that? hated it. Did you really? I hated it. At that time, so early 90s, there like was no most industries, there's no women were not very supported. That's right. In that industry. And so, you know, I was schlepping coffee and doing all the gophery things all the interns do. Um, but I saw how the other women were being treated at the station. And I didn't want to be a part of that toxic environment. And, you know, I knew as well for my first five or 10 years, I'd be working in small markets where the stories weren't there yeah. necessarily. And where also I'd be chasing ambulances and doing these stories that weren't really about the That's human right. experience that I wanted to really tell. Um, and so I came back my senior year of college and I love telling the story to Millican students because everyone fails and you have to lean into it and sure. you have to learn from it. Right. And yeah, so yeah. I came back my senior year without a plan Yeah, in life. That's I had okay. done, you know, three and a half years. But what do I do now? Yeah. And I had been super involved on campus and leadership and doing different community things and had some great mentors um, that were in student affairs and said, you know, that you can work at a university. And this can be like a real job for you. Like what? With a paycheck? Right. And I thought, okay, well, maybe I can do this. Yeah. Um, and over time, I realized that the same storytelling that I wanted to do as a broadcast journalist, I do as an educator. And that's what I'm so passionate about is telling the story of our students to those who don't understand it. Sure. To create equity, equity and access and to create, you know, spaces where students feel like they're being seen and heard. And that all begins with relationships and storytelling. I'm curious um, because that I, that identity and the awareness of, nope, I don't want to do that. And also, this is how I see women in particular being treated in this industry. That came early for you. It did. Were you aware of how in tune you were even at that age? Or how, because that's not an easy thing to do, right? To come back without a plan. It's like, oh my God, I still have to go do this. I'm committed to a broadcast journalist. I need to go do that. But you're like, yeah, what I'm seeing is not really what I want to do. And that took something different um, to acknowledge and chart a different course. It did. Um, but I had those great mentors. Yeah. You know, and those mentors helped me feel confident in pivoting yeah. and confident in being nebulous and not having, you know, a plan. And without those mentors, I probably would have taken the safe route and just continued and been in it job that I really disliked or maybe not been successful. And I, at that point really changed my life Yeah, moving forward. Um, so I really thank those folks. Um, and now my son's going to DePauw and I couldn't be happier because I had such a pivotal experience there as a student. Yeah. And I know he will as well. Talk about being a mom. I never wanted to be one. I didn't either. Shut the front door. <laughs> I didn't. So imagine yeah. being a young woman Never doing sleepovers, never going on social events, not a lot being allowed to date because you are always taking care of your four younger siblings. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And when I get my doctorate here in a couple of years, yes, my dissertation is going to be about Latina female leaders and the compassion fatigue that they feel from this caretaking in the culture yeah. that exists yeah, yeah. and how it weighs on them and the guilt that they feel for leaving siblings behind and leaving family behind. But you can do that for yep. African-American women too, yep. but I'll, I'll digress. And I'm not yep. doing another dissertation. Well, you so. can help me with mine if you I'm want. Cool. Okay. I'm cool. <laughs> You've got it. <laughs> so I had these four little girls, you know, in my life, my four sisters, Marcella, Daniela, Gabrielle, and Isabella. Yeah. So we're all the Ellas. My dad would just be like, Ella, get over here, you know? <laughs> And, you know, I was in charge of them 24-7. My parents were entrepreneurs. Okay. So my dad came to the States without any skills um, at the age of 17. And he did what he thought he could do, which is become a hairdresser. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So he became a hairdresser, met my mother on a modeling shoot, and they became pregnant with me and then got married. Really? Yep. Neither of my parents completed college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad obviously never did with a fifth grade education, never even got a GED or anything like that. My mother tried college for a year. She was a professional dancer. Okay. So she's ballet dancer. Um, had a huge life-changing injury, never finished college, met my dad, and then here I am, right? Yeah. Um, but 
my sisters. Yeah. My sisters were, you know, always my responsibility because my parents owned a salon together. Okay. So, you know, my dad was a hairdresser. My mother was a cosmetologist. They would, you know, have clients all day long in the front of our house and we lived in the back of the house. Yeah. So I had to keep those girls quiet. I like the sure commute. They, yeah. Make sure that they were fed and diapered and, you know, put to bed on time and, and make sure their homework was done yeah. and all of that kind of thing. And so I graduated high school when I was 16. Yep. I graduated early because of this focus on education, right? My dad was like, do, 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 school, school, school all the time. And I did love it. It was an escape for me from that home environment, right, right, you know, right. and I loved learning. Um, but I graduated at 16 and I thought, let me get the heck out of here. Get me as far away from these little girls and this place as possible because I felt so restricted. I felt like I was not a normal teenager. I didn't have a normal life. And now I look back at it and think, well, that was really far from the truth. But I was a little bratty (laughs) 16 year old, you know, Um, but I didn't want to have kids from the time I was a child because of what I'd experienced all the way until I got married. I did not want children. Yeah, it was never on my list of things to do. It, it wasn't, but we had to have conversations before we, JK and I had conversations before we were married because he comes from four, it's four mm-hmm. boys and then it's just me. And so it just wasn't at the forefront of, of my thoughts that I would ever even be a mom, but we had to have those conversations before we got married to figure out what does this look like? So, yep. well, we had some conversations, Yeah, but my husband did not want to be an old dad. He, for He's like, I have to be the young dad. I want to be the fun dad. And we got married when I was 27 and he was almost 30. Okay. And so he's like, that 30 date, right? I got it. Yeah. We got to go. His his clock was ticking. (laughs) Usually it's a lady, right? Right? (laughs) Um, And he's always been wonderful with kids. I mean, you all know he's a principal and he's done a lot of work in big brothers, big sisters. And I love kids too. I just didn't want my own kids. Sure. Yeah. And so he's like, let's try to have kids. And in my mind, I was like, this, this is a process that takes a long time. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Let's try. Let's try to have kids. And then in one month, yeah, little Robert was a little seedling. Uh, oh, and, uh, yeah, by the time I was 28, I had Robert. And so it was very quick. We got married, you know, Robin and I only dated for four months before we got engaged. Really? Yeah. We knew. You know, it was yeah. one of those situations we knew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, between dating, being married, and having Robert, it was like 18 months. You guys were busy. Like, y'all knock some stuff off. The, I mean, you I check. mean, I'm a maximizer, check. so I, mean, yeah. I feel like I do that in every aspect of my <laughs> right. life. Check, check, and check. And he was a horrible baby. So don't talk about... Cause I tell him all the time he was a horrible I baby. Know, he knows. <sighs> He's the most wonderful person. But as a baby, no thanks. That's unbelievable. Listen, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and have a little more conversation with Rafaela Prang. This is The Morris Code with your host, Dr. Juanita Morris. to be Morris Code. I'm your host, Dr. Juanita Morris, and in the studios with me is the future doctor, Rafaela Prangi. Uh, how you doing? I'm good. Yeah? Yeah. Tell me about the song. Selena, I mean, pretty pivotal, I think, for any Latina girl who listened to popular music in the 90s. Yeah? Um, and I've been able to share that love with my daughter, so it's kind of our thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, so she and I have a little Selena playlist and listen in the car together and um, so it makes me think of her because, you know, she's my second born. Yep. Um, great baby. She's challenging me now as a 16 year old though. <laughs> Slip slop. Slips. Yep. Flip flop. Flip flop it up. Um, but she's great too. She's my free spirit. She's my artist. Um, she's I... my dad. Oh yeah. She's kind of Gaston coming back. Mm-hmm. I saw the, the, I don't know how accurate it was um, about Selena. Mm-hmm. And so that was super sad mm-hmm. uh, just because I didn't, I remember her being such a huge presence. hit and mm-hmm. presence. And then all of a sudden it was gone. You and, know, think about the songs I've had on these segments, you know, Whitney, yeah. Prince, Selena. For me, so many artists' lives are cut short. It's like they're too big for the universe. Yeah. Yep. Um, and that, my dad too. Yeah, my dad was an artist and his life was cut short. My mom was an artist; her life was cut short. So, kind of something I believe is, you know, the world keeps these artists for only as long as the world can handle these artists. So, they bright, shine too bright. 
Tell me about that transition, even with your parents, because you mentioned yep. that their lives were kind of cut short as well. Yeah, for you. Right? For me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my mother passed away when she was 47 years old. I turned 47 in September, so talk to me about that. Yeah. That's going to be a big one for me and exploring kind of what that means to outlive your parent in that way. Yes. Um, but she passed away of cancer very quickly, um, diagnosed stage four multiple myeloma. Mm-hmm. Um, at a time, um, 2001 actually, you know, people always ask me, where were you on 9-11? That's such a common question, right? It we is. all get. Really and is. most people, you know, talk about watching the news or they maybe they were in the city. I was with my mom on hospice. Yeah. And we watched the Twin Towers fall from her hospital bed. And I remember her saying, I don't understand what's happening. Yeah. And I said, nobody does. And she thought she didn't understand because she wasn't lucid and she was at the end of her life. Yeah. But really, I mean, none of us understood what was happening what was in that happening? moment. But whenever I think of 9-11, obviously brings me back to that. But... um she had gone in for years to the doctor, six years, in fact, with all these symptoms. And everyone told her it was women's problems. Really? And you know that still happens today. Of course it does. You know, women don't often get the advocacy that they need to get of properly diagnosed. But back then it was even worse. Of course it um, does. And so I talk a lot with my daughter and yep. other women in my life about you have to ask the questions. You have to push yes. for care because others will not do that for you. And it was really sad that my mom never got that advocacy. Yeah. Um, and because they were entrepreneurs, they didn't have health insurance. And so she felt very restricted, restricted by what kind of care she could get. At that time, there were no community clinics or other spaces like Crossing Here. Yes. You know, yeah. that she could access. So that was really difficult. That was my second year at Millican. It was before I met Rob um, that she passed away. And my dad did not want me to come home. You know, he wanted me to be a successful American girl at the university. Yes. And he stuck to that. Yep, he stuck to it. Um, but I came home nonetheless and got grounded because of 9-11. <laughs> yes. And stayed with her um, nearly until the end. I was actually on my flight back when she passed. Okay. So that was tough. And my kids have never met her. My yep. husband never met her. And so she was a lovely human being. And, yeah, I see a lot of my son in her, in her and my son. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting, the manifestations of those souls that happen in the future generations, even without any physical connection yes. to one it's another. Yep. So then fast forward um, through my children's you know, young years, they maintained an awesome relationship with my dad. Um, by then he had moved to the Carolinas and we would often go down there for Christmas. Nice. Grandpa Gaston, Papa Gaston. Um, but he was always so sad. He lost the love of his, his life. life. Um, and I mentioned you, he didn't speak English very well. He didn't know how to do a lot of things that you do as an adult in the U.S. He just wasn't prepared. My mom did a lot of that for him. Yeah. And so he really struggled to live. Some of my- You've been listening to the Newhoff Media Podcast Network. For more, visit newhoffmedia.com.